Hello, hello. How are we doing today? All right, that great, huh? Wow. All right. Uh, as the scripture reading was this morning, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I want to ask you an honest question this morning. How is your soul doing this morning? Are you stressed? Are you tired? Are you weary? Ah, exhausted? How are you doing this morning? See, we've become workaholics in the West, and it affects everything we do, even our faith. I was at a, a retreat once, and it was probably the most exhausting experience I've ever had in my life. A retreat, right? A retreat is the your explicit purpose is to get away from the busyness, get away from the craziness, and rest, Right? Well, I was at this youth retreat and it was so busy. The schedule was so packed. And on top of that, you're eating this salty cafeteria food and stuff. It was a youth retreat, okay? So our youth kids were dropping like flies. Literally, we were in, we were in the winter, so you know that kind of added to it. But um, kids were getting sick. You know, They were dropping because of the fatigue. It was an endurance rate. I'm not even kidding. We'd wake up a mor one morning and we'd go to the, the worship gathering and we'd see who was missing and know, ah, they got sick. That's why they're not here. It was, it, I'm not kidding. It was, it, it was exhausting. I had, the, I, I had um, one of my youth boys. He was the quintessential nerd, okay? He, this guy, camping, like, outdoors, he could care less. He's probably allergic to the sun, but you talked about video games or YouTube. I mean, this guy knew it. And I remember, the funniest thing, I remember he got sick. And he told me, you know, he, he, he had to come to the street because his parents made him. He didn't really want to be here, you know what I mean? So he told me, he's like, this isn't a retreat. This is a military camp. I'm dead serious. This is not, I didn't make this story up. Tim Keller notes that in past generations, the greatest significance and meaning we uh, derived in our life was in the family unit. See, many people just worked blue-collar jobs. They, um, they just worked a job to pay their bills because their fulfillment in life didn't come from their job. It came from their family and social units. But really for the first time, he says in history, we've transferred the locus of, of satisfaction and fulfillment from the family to our work and to our achievements. And technology's only exacerbated this problem, right? With the internet and the cell phone, um, the lines between work and home life have blurred. Like we, we learned that during COVID, right? When all the Zoom calls came in and, and the lines between home life and work blurred, uh, and work were blurred. And, and this, this, this sense of work has been completely redefined because we have this thing always on us now and, and we sell ourselves with it. We... Um, 
We, in, we invent our, we, we manage our images. We're, we're, we're working all the time with this device on us. How have we managed to create, make, and invent every little thing? I thought someone was laughing. Um, every little thing, and yet we're more busy than ever. Right? Like, is that, is that crazy? Does that, there's something wrong here, right? See, so often I feel I'm just rushing through the day. I'm just struggling to, to get, move on for fear that I'm going to get left behind in the dust. I mean, there's work to go to. There's bills to pay. There's kitchens to clean. There's food to cook. And soon I'm going to have to change diapers. And on top of all of that, I got to make something out of my life. I got to work towards this better future. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one in here? With this frenzy of life, we often sacrifice the important for the urgent, the personal for the professional, the private for the public image needed to keep our opportunities to do more. And really what this creates is an intense shallowness. And, and even worse, it's, it's a form of hostility and violence in our society. Thomas Merton said, there's a pervasive form of contemporary violence, and that is activism and overwork. The frenzy of our activism neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our work because it kills the root, the, inner, the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. So today we're continuing in our series called The Art of Abiding from John 15. You remember what Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we're reminded that all of our workings, all of our doings, they amount to nothing if they don't stem from a deep abiding in Christ. Sabbath. Sabbath is one of the ways we do so. Sabbath is one of the ways we come to Jesus and find rest for our souls and fruitfulness for our lives. So I want to ask you one more time, how are you doing today? Do you feel that low-grade fatigue? Do you feel that stress, that anxiousness, that burden, that exhaustion? Jesus looks at a busy and anxious humanity, and he says, come to me. Nobody else, nothing else, me. Celebrating the Sabbath is the practice of resting holy in the reality that through the work of Christ, I am unconditionally loved and valued. It is the audacious testament to my relinquishment of control and consumerism. That's where we're heading today. And I want to share this from my heart because this is something new to me. How many of us have heard a sermon on Sabbath before? Maybe growing up? Oh, there's a lot of us here. Wow, you guys were blessed. I don't think I ever heard one on, I I didn't ever growing up. And in fact, this has dropped out of our Western Christian vernacular. You will look in vain 
in, in the spiritual, you know, classic writers that we herald, like Richard J. Foster, you will look in vain in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, to even find the word Sabbath mentioned in the index. I didn't hear this growing up. What I'm going to share with you is from my heart. I've only been studying this, learning about this, and trying to practice this for four months, and I hope that it blesses you too. So our starting place for today is, you might be surprised, no, it's not from the Ten Commandments. It's from the creation account. This pattern of work rest is essentially natural. God in his wisdom ordered the world around this pattern of six day work, one day rest for its flourishing and we kick against it to our detriment when we keep trying to push through. Genesis, if you wanna flip there, we're gonna be in chapter two, the first few verses. Genesis chapter two, actually starting in chapter one, verse 31, the last verse. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. This is the Hebrew word Shabbat. It's a verb form from where we get the noun Shabbat, Sabbath. Means to to stop working, to cease. He rested from all his work. Verse three. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The first implication I want us to see here is that work is a good thing. Work is a good, God rested from his work. Okay, we're not gonna do like a a study on work. I think we're all pretty good at that. We're gonna go right into Sabbath. But work is a good thing. It's not a product of the fall. We We were created to tend and keep the garden. We were created to steward this earth. We were created to work unto the Lord, but we are not fundamentally human workers, makers, doers, We're human beings. Work is not where our identity is found. As long as we're looking for work to satisfy and fulfill us, it's going to be very hard to rest. Some theologian have pointed this out. I love this kind of nerdy theologian stuff. Some of them have pointed out, so if we were created on the sixth day, right? Follow me. If we were created on the sixth day, then that means our, our very first day, our first foot forward in the world would have been the day of Sabbath, the day of resting with God. Thus, some have said that it's not that we rest from our work, it's that we work from our rest. We are human beings created by God and for that single reason, he delights in us. And from that place, we go out to work, do, serve, love. See, God was able to find intense satisfaction in his work. It said he saw all that he made and it was very good. And thus he was able to cease from that and to rest because his identity wasn't found in either one. His identity was found in the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of which creation was just a byproduct of that loving union. So here we're gonna come to our first point. If you wanna flip to uh, Deuteronomy chapter five, yes, We're going to use our Bibles here this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 5. 
Israel's on the edge of the promised land. This is 40 years after God had delivered them from slavery. And they're about to enter in. So he reminds them of the Ten Commandments he had formerly given them in Exodus chapter uh, 20. He says this in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Here's our first point. The practice of Sabbath is active resistance against the consumeristic narrative in life that everything is simply a commodity to be consumed. See, when your value in life derives from your work, what you make, what you produce, what you achieve, then human dignity is diminished to a commodity that is simply to be consumed. Does that make sense? And this is exactly what God is combating in the Sabbath. Israel was enslaved. They'd been enslaved. That's why he said, remember you were slaves in Egypt. Therefore, I've commanded you to obey the Sabbath, because Pharaoh had this insatiable script for production. He wouldn't let anyone rest. Your identity was wrapped up in how many bricks you could make. And God is kicking against Pharaoh's commodification of humanity, that you're only what you produce, you're only what you achieve. And through Sabbath, we resist the modern satanic script that your identity is in what you do, is in what you produce. See, it gets exhausting. Does it not get exhausting to continually feel that you have to make something out of your life through your own sheer ingenuity and exertion of effort? Does that get exhausting? whether we're managing our, our identities now because we're branding ourselves and we're selling ourselves on our social media or simply the unhealthy time and energy that uh, we devote to our careers, endeavors, entrepreneurial whatevers that we're constantly pursuing all for the sake of leaving an impact, you know, which is all good things. I'm not saying they're bad things, but when God would say, if that is where your identity is, that's a problem. You need to rest you remember you were in Egypt as slaves. You need to Sabbath. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann has this quote. We're going to quote it a few times, actually, because it's so good. He says this, In our contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act both of resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is the visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. See, in the Sabbath, we get to the core of who we are. We are human beings. If our work and our ministry so defines us, then we have a problem because that means 
that has become our idol that must now fulfill us. And the reality is that one day that idol is gonna fall. When either you get fired or you can't perform the same way anymore that you used to, it's gonna fall. For me, you know, God's gonna throw this wonderful curveball into your life of a child and all your ambitions come crumbling down if my identity was in those things. That is why we say at Neighbors that as Christians, our goal is to experience ourselves as loved by God. That's our identity. And then to give, and then to give our loved selves to other. This first part, friends, is done in Sabbath. It's done in Sabbath. Where we cease, we quit producing, and we're reminded that we are loved simply because we are God's children. And it's from this place that we go out to effectively fulfill our ministries. This is the starting place for fruitful production. Remember what Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now, I want you to notice something. This maybe is a Bible, you know, nerd type of thing. But I want you to notice something, that this, there's a crucial connection that we see in the Sabbath. The Sabbath is our connection between this relationship with God and that fruitful production that we um, go out into the world to love, to serve, to work. Scripture itself presents Sabbath as the bridge between these two things. If you're in there, if you're still in your Bibles in Deuteronomy 5, we're in the 10 commandments right there. And I want you to notice that commandments one through three focus on right relationship with God. What does it say? It says, worship no other gods, don't make any idols, don't take my name in vain. And then commandments five through 10 are all focused on relationships to others. Honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't lie, commit adultery, etc. But right in the middle is the bridge. Commandment number four. It's the bridge between loving God and loving the neighbor well. The Sabbath, the Sabbath. And more than just loving people well, the Sabbath is presented as the key to treating all of creation well. Remember what it said in the fourth commandment. I'll read it again. But the, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter. This is relationships to humans right here. But then he goes on to say, nor your ox or your donkey or any of your animals, that they may rest as you do remember you were Slaves. See, that same consumeristic mentality that God is trying to route out of the Israelites, he says, must not be in your relationships to others, even animals. And he's going to go on, the Bible is going to go on, apply the Sabbath principle even to our stewardship over the earth. If you remember, on the, each seventh year, even the earth itself was supposed to Sabbath. It was supposed to lie fallow, and the Israelites weren't supposed to um, plant seeds in it. The practice of Sabbath is active resistance against the commodification of humanity and the earth. Sabbath shows us when we do this, when it gets in our DNA, it shows us that people are more than commodities to be consumed for our own gain and personal pleasure. Sabbath teaches us that the earth and animals, our ecology, the way we steward the earth 
are more than commodities to be pillaged for our own sake. Through Sabbath, we resist Pharaoh's satanic script of consumerism. And through Sabbath, our relationship with God is refreshed in such a way that we now go out into the work field, into the week, bearing fruit. Second point is this. Sabbath is an issue of trust. Sabbath confesses that a good God is in control of our future. Exodus 16, I'm not gonna read this, but you might remember the story. This is actually the first place the word Shabbat, that noun form, is found, is in Exodus chapter 16. And this is now backtracking 40, 40 years where Israel had just been delivered from Egypt. And God brought them out of Egypt with mighty signs and wonders, and he brought them through the Red Sea, and he'd done all these miracles, and he says, now I'm going to test you. Do you trust me after all that you've seen? And so he brings them into this desert. It's hot, it's arid, there's no food. And what do they do? Instead of patiently trusting God, they start complaining. And God says, I'll provide bread from heaven, but only enough for that day. Get this, this is, this is interesting. God provided bread from heaven, but only enough for that day. He told them, don't store up, don't get any more. If you try to save up for a rainy day, you know, this is an agri agrarian society right here. It makes sense. One day there's not gonna be a harvest. Like there's seasons to things, right? If you try to store up though, you're gonna wake up in the morning and find that that manna has been rotted. Just, just use what I give you that day. But here's, here's the twist. On the sixth day, that same manna gathered twice as much of, because the seventh is a Sabbath, and on it, I don't want you to work at all. I want you to rest. And you'll wake up that seventh day and find that it hasn't rotted. Sabbath is an issue of trust. It's a completely, absolutely counterintuitive trust. It makes no sense. There's no rhyme or reason. Stop doing, and you'll be more fruitful. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But God... God wants us to trust in his ability to provide for our futures. That's why Jesus would say, don't worry about tomorrow. See the birds? They don't store in barns. See, we don't need to be incessantly storing up for a rainy day the next new toy or driving ourselves in the ground to get ahead for fear that we're gonna be left behind. God promises to provide all of our needs. Our future is secure. Do we believe that? And it's not just providing our needs. Do we believe God is in control of our future? that he's the author of our lives and he's making a good work out of it? Or do I need to take control with my agenda and all the things I need to do to get done because I know where I need to be? Can we surrender our vision of ourselves, of our own life? See, who's in control of our life? Is it God or are we trying to bend and manipulate the universe to meet my need of a secure and successful future. In the practice of Sabbath, we, where we cease doing, we make the greatest confession. Lord, I trust you with tomorrow. 
In Sabbath, we confess, Lord, it is well with my soul. Who I am, with my personality, with my gifts, and uh, my limitations, it's good. It's good, because you made me that way, and you know me, and you love me, and so you must have something good for me. I stop working, and I rest in that. Louisa Gallagher says, to push forward in work and self-doings with, without Sabbath rest is to attempt to gain as much manna as possible, and it's going to rot. Again, Walter Brueggemann, in our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is the visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. The alternative on offer is the awareness and practice that we are situating, situated at the receiving end of the gifts of God. Sabbath is the concrete confession that I am situated at the receiving end of the good gifts of God. One of my favorite um, artists has a song called Resistance. Maybe I should try to rap it, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, no, okay, I'm getting no, okay, dang. I guess I'm not that hip, I'm not that cool. Um, no, no. But listen to this, this, uh, this section of line he's, lines he has. He says, my rest is a weapon against the oppression of man's obsession to control things. Look at the long line of make-believe kings. The Lord of the Flies wants you to kiss his rings. Follow new rules with invisible strings and become a puppet in the diabolical scheme. How do good men become a part of the regime? They don't believe in resistance. That is not a political song, by the way. Absolutely not. My rest, he's talking about Sabbath, is a weapon. That is my resistance of the strings and the diabolical schemes that this society has put us in and we feel the pressure of every day. Sabbath is the ultimate testament to my relinquishment of control and confession that God is in control of my future. It is resistance against the narrative to self-define, self-create, and let God create a good work out of our lives. Now we're going back to the seventh day of creation. You remember where that is in the beginning, hopefully. Um, we're going back there to see our last and most significant point today. If you know your Bibles well, you'll see that there's a common refrain that is missing from the seventh day. Let me give you an example. Back in uh, Genesis 1, the last verse again, verse 31, it says this. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. That refrain right there, there was evening, and there was morning, is repeated in every single day of creation, except the seventh day. Why? This is very intentional by the biblical authors. The sun never sets on the seventh day. Humanity was created to enter a perpetual rest with God that would never end. The goal end of all creation was to enter an eternal Sabbath rest with our maker. 
See, the fullness of, of the Sabbath was never meant to be contained in, in a simple 24-hour period. The weekly Sabbath was a picture of the way God intended to have relationship with his people. But you know the story, right? Just one chapter later, Genesis chapter 3. The prospect of peace, rest, and harmony of humanity with its creator was shattered when that fruit snapped and humanity was barred from the presence of God. That's why thousands of years later, when God called his people Israel to be forerunners of this new humanity, he commanded them to practice the Sabbath. This one single day of cessation was a picture of the way he intended to have relationship with them. And in Exodus 31, God is giving his final words to Moses. I mean, there's, there's a lot more books, but I mean, it's final covenant law words to Moses that started in Exodus 20 with the 10 commandments that we're kind of familiar with all the way to Exodus 31, this whole covenant law relationship with Israel. And the final words he gives to Moses are this, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be the sign between me and you for generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. That's his final words right there. This one practice literally embodied God's intended relationship to us. It symbolized the covenant relationship with the people that he chose them, not due to any merit of their own, but he simply loved them. He brought them out of slavery. He gave them a new identity as his holy people. And now he tells them to live that out into the world. And all of that is encapsulated in this one embodied practice called the Sabbath. That is why the consequences for disobeying the Sabbath were, were so severe. God said anyone who doesn't practice the Sabbath would be cut off, and that's putting it lightly. See, to work on the Sabbath was to deny God's salvation, his authorship over this new identity that he gave us. It was to assert our own good works, our own righteous standing before God, to assert our own worth and value. It was to assert that I am the one who makes myself good holy. And you know the story though, right? 586, Israel is exiled into Babylon. The explicit reason given was that they didn't observe the Sabbath, accordingly their relationship with God. Thus God's intended purpose was never realized. His purpose to bring people into that restful relationship with him for eternity was never realized. Until 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he left an indelible mark on history. The first sermon he ever preached made it clear that he was coming to restore God's intended Sabbath rest to all of humanity. Luke chapter four, verse 18, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The proclamation 
of the year of the Lord's favor and freedom to prisoners and the oppressed echoed the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Jubilee was seen as an extended Sabbath year. Every seventh year, there was a Sabbath year, the land would lie follow, fallow. Every seven times seventh year, right, the 49th year, you, you get the sense there's something climactic here. Every seven times seventh year, at the ushering in of that 50th year was the year of Jubilee. It was the climactic Sabbath. Slaves were released, debts released, property that had been sold due to poverty would be returned to its original ancestral owners. This was a complete economic restart. This was a year of freedom and liberty for all. And so Jesus' very first sermon he came to preach said he came to bring the end time jubilee, the ultimate Sabbath of Genesis 2 that was lost. So Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is everything that the Sabbath pointed to. Jesus is the culmination of Sabbath rest. Through his work of redemption on the cross, we are invited to that freedom and rest for our souls. So get this, church. The practice of Sabbath is the embodiment of God's gospel love for us. And that's, that's our final point. The practice of Sabbath is the embodied reality that through the work of Christ, I'm unconditionally loved and valued. See, in Sabbath, we cease from our striving, our work, our effort, and we rest knowing we're completely free, completely loved, apart from anything we do. And this is probably the single boldest testament to this reality. The gospel says that God loves us apart from anything we bring to the table. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The gospel says that God loves us despite the fact that we have nothing to bring to the table. We were created by God for his purpose. And even when we strayed and rebelled, he still loved us. We weren't bringing anything to the relationship and he still loved us. It's like a laptop. My laptop recently broke. <sighs> That's what you get for buying a Dell, I guess. Huh? Yeah, all you Mac people are like, yep, yep, that's right. We created laptops. Laptops are for a purpose, right? They're for a purpose. What happens when they no longer fulfill their purpose? What happens when the screen cracks and the battery doesn't hold charge anymore? Or it's been corrupted with viruses? What happens? You throw it away. You get rid of it. It's a waste of space in my house. I don't need any, any more. Factory reset, throw that thing away. 
I'm done with it. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid our sin so that we wouldn't have to spend the rest of our lives trying to work it off. We never could anyways, right? This reality is meant to liberate us. This is the reality that liberates us. We're not defined by what we bring to the table. We're not defined by what we do. We don't need to hustle to make our our name or our brand for ourselves. We don't need to strive to produce this legacy and make our lives meaningful. We don't need to justify our existence. We don't need to work our lives away to try to feel worthy. Sabbath is the embodied reality that I'm a loved child of the king. I'm a prince. I'm a princess birthed in enrapturous love, sacrificed everything for, revel, embody, celebrate the Sabbath. We looked at the theology of it. We're done with all that. What does this look like practically? What does this look like practically? See, at Neighbors, it's something of a rule of life for us. See, for far too long, we, we Protestant Christians have, have seen the Sabbath as a matter of legalities, but it's not. It's a matter of practicality. It's a matter of worship. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, meaning we're not obligated to spend a day of, in Sabbath rest, But that was a gift to us. We can if we want. See, a lot of times people say, oh, Jesus is my Sabbath, so I don't really have to Sabbath. You know, and technically they're correct. You you don't have to. But what good is our confession if our life doesn't show it? What does our confession really show if we're still running around busy with chickens, chickens with their heads cut off, stressed, anxious, striving to curry favor and, and, and value through our efforts and achievements? What good does that really show about our confession? See, at Neighbors, we confess not only with our mind, but we try to confess with our whole being that reality. To do otherwise is to trivialize the intricacy with which God made us mind, body, spirit. We rest tangibly and physically. So the reality is we need a Sabbath every single day. All right, God said the the first thing he made holy on the seventh day was he blessed the the Sabbath day and he made it holy. This was a time period. God blessed that time period and, and made it holy. So time is holy and specifically the time of doing nothing but resting with God is holy. We need that every single day, but I'm still convinced that a 24 hour period of time is, is instructive. And really more than instructive, it's crucial for us to have this kind of gospel grace-based life reality. It, it change us. We are so inundated with the world's restless mentality that our days off often become catch-up days, do they not? When we get a day off, we're just striving to like catch up. Or what about a vacation? Have you ever came back from a vacation just like, oh my gosh, that was exhausting. I feel more lethargic to get started than ever before. Have you ever done that? Is that just me? 
Because I did so many things. I gotta see this, I gotta do that, I gotta do every single little. That is not a Sabbath. That's not a Sabbath. In order to practice the Sabbath, get this, we must first learn the art of saying no. We have to learn to say no more. Because if we can't say no, then we have like a slave mentality, right? And let me tell you real quick, guys, this isn't a popular message for churches, right? This, isn't a po- this doesn't always benefit us. Like these tents, everything that is here were from people that said yes, people that worked. Like this is not always the popular message. Nevertheless, we're not asking you to do more. It's not that we should do more. We should do less. We should do less. We should slow down, make our relationship with God our truly our number one priority, and then from that place, with precision, engage the way we're going to interact with the world, engage with our work, engage with our doings, so that we actually bear fruit. Learn to say no more so that when you say yes, it's really meaningful. It actually bears fruit. And I want to encourage you, this is a safe place. Neighbors, some churches are not. I've been at some of them. And no doc in any churches. Everyone has their color. Everyone is, every church has a beautiful, unique gifting. This is a safe place to practice Sabbath. You know why? Because if you start making an excuse, oh, my Sabbath, and we see you're really just using it and being lazy, you know, we'll call you out, okay? We'll call you out. But if you're finding your identity and your work, too, we'll call you out there, too. This is a safe place to practice that. So as I said, I've only been attempting this for about four months now, but it really is revolutionizing my life. I I took a a vacation with my wife for two weeks and we did nothing. We like, we went to one coffee plantation. That was it. We didn't see anything. We weren't like doing, we just did nothing. And, And we woke up every morning and had our devotion with God unhindered. When's the last time you woke up in the morning and said, I'm gonna pray or read my Bible, and your mind had space. You were able to do that unhindered. When was the last time you were able to do that? That's what we're talking about here. That's Sabbath. That's, that's, that's so invigorating for your relationship. There's spontaneity and playfulness that reemerges in your relationship with God. Not only that, when we Sabbath, There's space made in our hearts and in our minds where we truly start evaluating what are the things that are actually valuable to me in my life? Not just the chores and obligations and tasks I have to fulfill, but what is truly life-giving for me as a human on this earth? That happens in Sabbath. You realize I'm just running through the rat race to, to finish the tasks. What should I really be doing? My life is so short. We only have so much time. I love what Tim Keller says. Three things real quick. We're about to end to make this helpful. He says, divide your Sabbath time. If you're going to try, and I, I, I encourage you to, a 24-hour period of time. He says, divide it by avocational time, contemplative time, and inactive time. Avocational, have nothing related to your work. No texts, no emails, no, no nothing. No work, no nothing. Do something else. Put your work aside. Focus on his work. Maybe go on a hike or something. And and be uh, rejuvenated again, focusing on his work of creation. A vocational time. 
Um, well, what did I say? Contemplative. <laughs> Basically, prayer. Prayer, reading scripture. Spend time with the Lord on Sabbath. I think that's uh, pretty self-explanatory. Inactive. Shua went over this last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to the podcast. Um, silence and solitude. Inactive. For thousands of years, we as human beings have lived quietly in our thoughts without vibrations and notifications and all that kind of stuff. And it's in those times that we really get to the core of who we are. What inspires me? What invigorates me? What is my life about? Inactive time. A vocational, contemplative, and inactive time. Lastly, it should be a no-brainer. Put the phone away. Put the phone away. Put it on silence. Put it away. If you need to check it every few hours, you know, make sure there's not something like seriously fatal. That's okay. But remember, you're going to wake up and, and all those messages, the slew of messages and notifications are be there as if you never left. They're never even going to know you left. They're still going to be there waiting for you and the world is still going to be spinning. Have someone hold you accountable. There are seasons in life that are busy. That's a reality. That's why this isn't a law. This isn't a matter of legalities anymore. There are seasons of life that are busy. Have someone hold you accountable so that when that season is over, you get back into the right rhythm, the natural rhythm that God has intended for us. When we celebrate the Sabbath, we cut all the strings of idolatry, unhealthy attachments, and false narratives that pull at us and we rest holy in the reality through the work of Christ. I'm okay. I'm okay. I am loved. I am valued. My identity is in him. Friends, I hope and encourage that you will celebrate the Sabbath if you have not been doing it. We have a seven-day week. Five days we have usually work. Our, our kind of society is structured for it. Do your catch-up day on day six. Spend a day, Sabbath, whatever day that is for you and works best for you. I encourage you to that. Let's pray. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion this morning.